0: This is History West Midlands.
1: Hello and welcome to History West Midlands, our regular in-depth examination of various aspects of the black country. The black country and surrounding area has often punched well above its weight in producing its share of literary talent but even by this yardstick, the name of one man dominates the early 20th century, Francis Brett Young. Born in 1884 in Halsoen, to parents of a medical background, Brett Young also trained as a doctor and saw military service in World War I. Yet, it's as a writer that he is more remembered. A favourite of Stanley Baldwin, his works fell out of fashion, but despite a period of obscurity, several have been adapted for film and television. His wide-ranging output was prolific – But it was largely through his 30 novels that he painted the elegiac and poignant portraits of a part realistic and part imaginary local landscape and its people that, even after his death in 1954, can still evoke powerful imagery of our past. In a technique that combines the creativity of a novel with the facts of reality, he weaves stories intermingled with historical accuracy, in which my guest today describes how, and I quote, the reader is invited to actually hear what the voice is saying. But who was the man behind the pen? What's his story and what aspects of his life were instrumental in his talents? Joining me to shed light on this is Dr Michael Hall, a retired deputy headmaster and author with a particular interest in Brett Young. Currently chairman of the Francis Brett Young Society, his works include the biography Francis Brett Young, published by Borderline, and In Cramped and Sooty Cabins: the now makers of Birmingham, Bromsgove and the Black Country, explored through the novels of Francis Brett Young, which was published by the Black Country Society, of which he's also a former president. Let's start off by asking who was Francis Brett Young? What's his background and his family, his career influences? Tell us about the man.
0: Well, as you've already said, he was born in Hales Owen in 1884, but perhaps not part of the immediate Hales Owen community. His father was a doctor who went on to become medical officer of health, so in a way, right from the start, he was set apart from the rest of the Hales Owen community, even though neighbours in Laurel Lane where he lived were nail makers and other... Skilled artisans. The Brett Young family were always somewhat detached from this, and I think that's the starting point, really. That in all of Brett Young's writings, there is some extent to which he's a bit of an outsider looking in, looking down, if you like, from the privilege of the reasonably well to do lower middle class on the working classes. So the immediate contrast, I suppose, is with. A writer who was a friend of his for a long time, D.H. Lawrence, they were very close contemporaries, wrote about similar sort of things. But Lawrence's background was quite different from Brett Young's in that he remained part of his community, the community in which he was born and brought up for certainly the, the influential part of his working life, which Brett Young didn't. He lost his mother at an early age, didn't he? What effect what did on his, that He uh, did. That had operating? a tremendous effect. He was very close to his mother, much closer than he was to his father, as were his three full siblings, a brother and two sisters. And you see something of this in the fact that a number of his novels have sons who are very close to their mothers and who lose their mothers At an early age, the same sort of age as Brett Young lost his, he was 14. And this becomes a very significant factor in their life. Perhaps just to give you two examples, Edwin Ingleby, who is the hero of Brett Young's most autobiographical novel, The Young Physician. His mother dies when he's 14, and just as Francis was, he's brought home from school too late to see her, and he never really gets over that. And perhaps even more significantly, Matthew Bradley, who is the son of Dr. John Bradley, also loses his mother at an early age. His father marries again, as Francis's father did, and Matthew is so traumatised by the fact that his father is choosing to marry again, that he actually thumps him and knocks him down. I don't think that's anything Brett Young ever did, but I think you can see the trauma being relived. So that was a very significant moment in his life, yes.
1: Clearly an educated man. What was the basis of his education?
0: Well, initially he was educated at home, and then went to the Iona Cottage High School in Sutton Coalfield, a small private establishment. And after that, to Epsom College in Surrey, which had been established for the Sons of Doctors. And then from there, he progressed to the medical school in Birmingham University, where he trained alongside the dentists. So he won a Sans Cox scholarship for that. Much of what he writes about his time in university is not so much about his medical studies as the fact that he became part of a little group of like-minded students who were known as the octet because there were eight of them who were all very keen on poetry and literature so they were doing this alongside their medical training which I think is an indication perhaps of the line that he would go down in the future. Did that perhaps kickstart him in that direction? I don't know what it actually kickstarted him, but it certainly reinforced what he'd already been doing. At Epsom, he'd edited the school magazine, so the earlier suggestions were there, I think, that maybe a literary career would have been for him. And then when he eventually qualified, he was actually quite ill. I think basically he'd had something of a nervous breakdown, and his tutor suggested to him that he needed to get some fresh air and have a break from the sort of academic rigors that he'd been going so if you lived in birmingham and the black country where would you go if you wanted fresh air well he went to liverpool and um, actually signed on as ship's doctor on board the um, ss Kintuck of the alfred holtz blue funnel line
1: I'd like to bet he wrote about that extensively. He wrote quite a bit about that.
0: A whole series of short stories were based on those experiences and there's one whole novel based around the sea and a ship. Not so much the ship's doctor, but obviously drawing on what he'd experienced there. He just did one trip. They went out from Birkenhead to Yokohama, taking out iron and coal and bringing back silks and spices just the sort of thing you would expect this was 1907 and they also carried back to mainland europe from yokohama 400 chinese coolies as cheap labor traveling in the ship's hold and i think that obviously had an impression upon him as well he trains the doctor
1: serving world war one and almost seemed to have this damascene conversion to writing.
0: I don't think it was a sudden conversion like that. His ambition had always been to be a writer. As a child, when little boys wanted to drive engines, his ambition was to become a poet. And in fact, to achieve that, he wanted to go to Oxford and read classics, which his mother was supporting him in. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why that death was so significant. After his mother died, his father had very different ideas and basically said, no, son of mine is going to become a poet. I want you to be a doctor and work with me. But his heart, I suppose, was always in writing. So even when he was in practice first, which was in Brixham, he was writing even at that stage. But it was after the First World War when he returned back from his 12 months in the Royal Army Medical Corps, suffering from malaria, that he decided that this would be the opportunity to do what he'd always wanted to do, give up being a doctor and turn to writing. But interestingly, he always said that the experience of being a doctor was one of the most significant factors which underlay his writing because it gave him an understanding of human nature and people when they were at their most vulnerable.
1: He paints the area exquisitely in the classical sense of the word. And I'd like to explore how he contrasts with others in doing that, such as Elihu Burris and Edward B- LeBaylis, to, to name it two. But I want to quote from your own book, In Crampton Sooty Cabins*, where you say that in one fictional work of Francis Brett Young, a Shropshire immigrant to a black country describes the landscape as scarred like a battlefield, Cumbered by metal debris, huge rusty circular boilers, discarded flywheels, stacks of trolley rails, coiled cables, monstrous dumps of indiscriminate scrap iron, scattered with boulders of slag and drifting cinders, as though some volcanic catastrophe had whelmed and blighted it. This, you suggest, is a landscape not only visible but audible. It's pretty powerful stuff, that. It is powerful stuff. How does he compare and contrast with his contemporaries doing the same thing?
0: I think it's interesting that you've picked on Burritt and Butler Bayliss, but before I answer that, one thing we need to understand about Francis Brett Young is that he draws a very firm distinction between the urban and the rural. So the urban black country scene... That which is made by man, is one of the ways in which he describes it, is always devastating, debilitating, depressing. It has all of those elements to it. So when he first describes the black country from the top of the Clent Hills, he sees first of all the countryside around him and then beyond this. In another extract he describes it as an apocalyptic scene of the black country in fiery eruption. So that's his starting point.
2: We climbed the brow of the hill, and as we stood there, we saw a landscape that took our breath away. The high ground fell away through a black, woody belt, and beyond it, for more miles than you can imagine, lay the whole basin of the black country, with innumerable smokestacks rising out of it like the merchant shipping of the world laid up in an estuary at low tide, each chimney flying a great pennant of smoke that blew away on the wind, and the whole scene bleared by the light of a sulphurous sunset. And then this apocalyptic light. It was like a landscape at the end of the world. And curiously enough, though men had built the chimneys and fired the furnaces that bred the smoke, you felt that the magnificence of the scene owed nothing to them. Its beauty was singularly inhuman and its terror, for it was terrible, elemental. It made me wonder why you people who were born and bred there ever write about anything else.
0: The countryside that made by God, is entirely the opposite. People find healing by leaving the urban scene of which they, where perhaps they work and of which they are a part and crossing into the countryside. It brings refreshment and renewal.
2: South and west stretched a land of orchards and this was the season of harvest. Pale yellow, street scarlet, dark crimson. The cider apples scattered in dewy grass or heaped into mounds already exhaled their vinous perfume. Heavier still and richer on the air hung the scent of the peri-pears, lying beneath the noble candelabra of the trees from which they had fallen. Down and down into the warmth of that rich green land, down and down through the pallid gold of the motionless air, Bella drifted in a flight that seemed as ghostly quiet as that of the heavy-winged butterflies that floated, or lazily fluttered, from heap to heap of bruised fruit. In this land, it seemed to her, the pulse of life must surely beat more naturally, more steadily than amid the bricks of North Bromwich, or the cinder paths of Hayseach, where, even if one were blind to the surrounding ugliness, one's ears must suffer the perpetual assault of hideous sound. There the visible world was a challenge, or at least an offence. Here, its gentle hues and slow curves had a consoling quality.
1: He obviously has a deep feeling for the area, that's reflected
0: in his writings, but...
1: Why, in that case, did he leave you behind and emigrate?
0: Ah, well, that's another question altogether. He emigrated for health reasons. After the First World War, when he came home suffering from a whole tranche of tropical diseases and wanted to turn his attention to writing, he got two bits of advice, one from his publisher, This, if he wanted to make his living by writing, he needed to go and live somewhere cheap. And the second from his doctor, that if he wanted to avoid the constant recurrences of malaria, he needed to go and live somewhere warm. So that was the reason for the emigration, which first of all took him to Capri and then ultimately to South Africa. Did that affect his output? Well, interestingly, when he was living in Capri, he wrote far more about the black country, and when he came back home, he wrote more about Italy. So maybe absence does make the heart grow fonder. Well, he's noted for his literary creation of a greater Birmingham, mm.
1: years before any politician of mm. uh, this mm. epoch uh, thought of the thing, which, of course, was a fabrication. Why were some of his locations topographically
0: quite accurate and others completely invented? Brett Young always said that for him, in the construction of a novel, place came before person and plot. So the location is always significant. They were always very carefully researched, and they are always identifiable. I'm not sure that any of them actually were totally invented, but I think what he actually did was sometimes he made transfers, so that a part of a location is transferred and grafted on to somewhere else, so that if you put the two things together, you get the complete picture that he's describing. For example, his final novel, the unfinished novel, with Stanslow, which is the story of a great house. If you follow the cycle ride that the hero of that novel takes to get from his home in Halesby, which is Brett Young's Hales Owen, to Wistanslow, you can follow the route quite accurately and you will end up looking at Himley Hall. But if you go inside the building or take a little bit of time to look at the architecture of what's described, what you're actually looking at is Hagley Hall. So he's put the two together to create one new location. But certainly his portrayal of Birmingham, which you've just mentioned, which he called North Bromwich, and there are more than 2,000 references to that throughout um, his novels... They are extremely accurate. His accuracy
1: in his portrayals, for example, nail-making, is well noted as well. Now, I quote again from uh, In Crampton Sooty Cabins that social commentary was based on meticulous research. This resulted in the creation of novels that were also reliable social history, e.g. Hales Owen, two separate words, was given over to the manufacture of domestic handmade nails. Each cottage, and I frequented dozens, has its own little nail shop built onto it. We know there is that his representations are accurate. Why nail-making? What other aspects did he focus on? Was there any particular things that he concentrated on more than others?
0: Well, nail-making is the one that he spent most time on, and I suppose that was simply because Halesowin largely was a nail-making town, so it was something that was immediately within his own experience. But you can also find descriptions, probably rather more cameo descriptions than the more spread descriptions of nail-making that he gives throughout his novels, of mining, for example, chain-making, brick-making, and brick-making is an interesting one. We mentioned Burrit um, a few minutes ago and didn't go back to him. Elihu Burrit has a very detailed and accurate description of a brickworks that he visited in Hales-Owen. And Brett Young used that description almost verbatim in parts... As his own description of brickmaking in one of his novels, which is another indication, I think, of the careful research. Where his own personal experience and knowledge wouldn't serve, he relied upon meticulous research and, for nail making, consulted the most up to date scholarship of his day. And when he knew that he was going to write a little bit more about nail making, he wrote to J.L. Hammond, who was one of the great social historians of the early. 20th century and said look I'm about to do this will you have the script and read through it and and correct it and will you suggest to me what I ought to be looking at as background material so it was both personal observation personal experience and careful research yes
1: why did he fall out of favour so quite dramatically it would appear a great favour of Stanley Baldwin
0: yes and of Lloyd George so across the political spectrum I think there was a sense in which the large leisurely novel did go out of fashion i suppose just after the second world war and equally there's a sense in which much longer novels are somewhat back in fashion now what was his impact at the time on
1: the literary culture here when he was at his peak of powers uh, and perhaps beyond
0: I think that's quite difficult to assess. I mean, there were many other people writing in similar genres as there had been immediately before him. He obviously standing immediately in the tradition of people like Arnold Bennett and Thomas Hardy with the regional novel. And, of course, his own contemporaries included writers like Lawrence, we've already mentioned, who is much of Lawrence's descriptive style is very similar to that of Young, and people like Walpole with his great series of novels, same sort of style. These were people who socialised with one another and and who no doubt shared ideas. Since Brett Young's time, well, certainly regional novels about Birmingham have taken off. There are all sorts of people writing Birmingham novels now, Anne Bennett, um, Annie Murray, Judith Cutler, and, of course, David Lodge, Jonathan Coe. And these are all post-Brett Young. So maybe there's a sense in which the influence goes on there. And I mean, it's interesting, David Lodge, for example, calls Birmingham rummage, which I'm sure Brett Young would have approved of because he didn't have a very high opinion of North rummage, Birmingham, which is quite clear in the amount of detail he gives about it.
1: So what's the attraction of Brett Young to yourself, for starters, let's start off with you.
0: You spent a large part of your recent years devoted yes. to the man. Well, not only recent. I mean, I first came across Brett Young when I was 14. And what attracted me to him then, and I suppose that stayed with me, really, I read House Under the Water, which is the story of the Birmingham Welsh Water Scheme, the building of the pipeline. And that was the first time I'd ever encountered a novel which was about places I knew novels were always about somewhere else but here was one that was actually about places I knew and had visited and could identify with and I think that is still important in terms of Brett Young as a regional novelist he describes the black country its green borderlands and Birmingham bringing to life a world that's gone is he one of our first regional novelists yes Interestingly, the black country and the area which I've just mentioned was not going to be his first choice to write about. He first decided that he was going to write about Somerset and the Mendips, where his father's family came from, and he did actually write three novels set down there. They didn't get a publisher, and he decided that this was not going to be the way forward, and so transferred to the area about which he knew. And certainly is the most significant early regional novelists. There were people writing about the Midlands and the black country before that. Sabine Baring-Gould, who wrote Onward Christian Soldiers, wrote Lebo the Nailer, which is set in Lye. But that was a one-off. Brett Young is the first to have such a widespread, I think.
1: I mentioned in the introduction that he wrote other than novels, poetry as well. But sell the man to me. What would I look for? What's the appeal to somebody who knows very little about him. And where would I start?
0: What would be a good introduction? I think what would be a good introduction, to some extent, depends what you're looking for. If you're looking for a good description of the Worcestershire part of the West Midlands, for example, then you would go for something like Far Forest, which is set in the Wyre Forest but which has a detailed examination of the life of chain makers. So it's not just rural, it's industrial as well. If you were in the black country and were looking for one of his descriptions about life here, as it would have been in the early 19th century, or indeed right through to the outbreak of the Second World War, then perhaps you would go for something like the Black Diamond, or They Seek a Country, Dr. Bradley Remembers, Portrait of Clare, which have the more detailed and atmospheric descriptions of the industrial life of the black country. But I think whichever you go for, and the reason why I think he's so important today, is that his novels, they're not just secondary sources now in themselves, drawing upon things that he had read and explored and brought into him. They have themselves become primary documents, as important as historical sources as all of the other things that we look at if we want to build up a picture of life in the period and in those areas. They portray something that is no longer possible to see other than in places like the Black Country Living Museum, and they bring to life people events, places, he always considered that an accurate retelling of what he'd experienced, real people, real places, real stories, was the legitimate backdrop for fiction. And for that reason, his novels have become documents of social history, but they're good yarns as well. So if you're looking for a good story with that sort of accuracy of background, you'll find it in Brett Young.
2: Every riven block, every fragment of useless spoil, must be rolled, heaved or shoveled into iron trolley tubs, and these, in their turn, must be hauled or pushed to the bolt hole, whence the patient blind ponies dragged them away down the galleries to the pit eye at the bottom of the shaft, where those carrying coal and spoil were sorted and shunted and hoisted, and finally shot out and dispersed into a light which had not visited them since the crust of the earth cooled. The menace of falling rock was in all men's minds, and the peril of fire damp magnified. These were definite dangers and ills, but perhaps even more unnerving, for such as had nerves, was not merely the darkness, but the mind's lonely emptiness. Amid the vast rumbles and echoes that haunted its silence, a sense not so much of oppression as of segregation, of being cut off from the beauty for which the soul yearned,
0: But of course he also wrote poetry, he also wrote short stories and plays and non-fiction and his very first published works were not pieces of writing at all, they were actually music. He set some of Robert Bridges, who was then the Poet Laureate's, poems to music.
1: He sounds very much the all-round writer, the the writer's writer. We touched earlier on the the name Edwin Butler-Bayless. How does he compare and contrast with him? Let's let's enlarge on him a little.
0: Well, of course, butler Bayliss was a very close contemporary of Brett Young, born just 10 years before him and dying at almost the same time. I've never come across any evidence that they actually met, but... I think it's a great pity if they didn't, because they were both exploring very similar things, and there's a real sense that Edwin Butler Bailey's painted the black country that Brett Young wrote about, and if you like, his are the pictures in art, Brett Young's are the pictures in words, but of the same thing, and they match together beautifully. Now you're obviously a passionate and enthusiast for Francis Brett Young. How many of you are there? The Francis Red Young Society has been going since 1979 and it has now something like 200 members. It's not a huge society, but 200 quite active members and not just drawn from the Midlands. We have members in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, South Africa, Bosnia, Norway. So he has a worldwide appeal as well as just to people of this area.
1: In conclusion, Michael... Can you give your opinion on the scale and breadth of Francis Brett Young's
0: contribution to the genre of literature? I think his contribution is vast simply because he wrote in so many different genres, which I mentioned a few minutes ago. So that in itself, there's a tremendous breadth. But allied with the breadth, there is the depth. And I think the depth is important as well. If you want to discover what life was like in the area and the era about which he was writing, you will get it from Brett Young in an accurate, a reliable way, and one which has been authenticated by very well-respected historians, but you'll get it in a way that is more reader-friendly than perhaps the average history textbook might be. And he did
1: survive the uh, horrors of the Great War, which clearly had an impact on his faith. And I uh, quote from you again when uh, you say that it, it was at Halzone and Epsom College that Francis Brett Young absorbed the ancient canticles and liturgies of the church which frequently illuminated his writing. Psalm 121 came to his aid in particular as he agonised over the futilities of war. Unto the hills, O God, unto the hills, from whence a dream of childhood comes of late, unto the hills, unto the hills I bring, my soul for soothing of their solitude.
0: Yes, that is a most moving poem, I think, and it's one that has never actually been published. I found it in the archives amongst the collection of Brett Young materials in Birmingham University Library. Congratulations. (laughs) So the intention, actually, is that this will appear in print as part of the Brett Young Society's current project, an anthology of Francis Brett Young's writings in both prose and poetry about the First World War, which are quite extensive.
1: Well, you put up a compelling case for Francis Brett Young, Michael. You've convinced me. Where can I find his works? Are they still in print?
0: They were out of print for quite a while, but there are a number back in print. A firm called House of Stratus republished about 15 i think of his novels some of which are available in this country some of which are only available in the usa but you can track them all down on amazon and a good one to start with the one i started with and which is still my favorite was the house under the water which was made into a bbc serial in the early 1960s
1: excellent stuff and my thanks to dr mike hall for that illuminating insight into the life of francis brett young we end with an extract from Brett Young's poem, The Ballad of St Canelm, the tragic story of the boy king of Mercia who was murdered in Clint at the behest of his power-hungry sister. Dr Michael, the floor is yours.
0: In our sweet shires of Mercia, five blessed saints we had. Four were proud princes of the church and one was a little lad. Wiston, Wollstone, Oswald, Chad, all pray for Mercia's realm. But the saint we love, all others above, is Little Saint Canelm. Bravo, sir. Thank you very much. If you'd like to learn more about uh, Francis
1: Brett Young, then visit the eponymous website at uh, www.fbysociety.co.uk and that's as good a place as any to start your inquiries. And as always, if you wish to obtain both current and back issues of our History West Midlands magazine, watch the accompanying presentations, subscribe to our audio resources or simply contact us, then you can do it all by going through the History West Midlands website and following the relevant links. Join me next time for more fascinating insights into the black country. Until then, enjoy your history and thank you for listening.